Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 141 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hey there. My husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. My husband Dylan and I have been together for 10 years. A decade. Been together for a decade. For a decade now. That song is so catchy. It's the Eurovision song for Iceland this year. You should, y'all should check it out. <laughs> yeah, that was an adorable Instagram post you shared. Thank you. It's funny because I don't have a personal Instagram account, so I have to be careful because I browse Instagram through our to-read list Instagram account, so sometimes I want to like like our own stuff. <laughs> like, I can't do that. It is strange sharing the Instagram with you guys because sometimes like accounts will come up that I'm like, I don't really have any interest in like soccer or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I guess somebody does. Like the one time... I- For some reason, all of my Instagram recommendations were Adam Driver. (laughs) Look, I wanted to win the Adam Driver subscription. (laughs) Free Adam Driver for life. Well, guys, um, it's been another two weeks. Has anybody bought any new books? Anybody have any shame to report? No. Well. (laughs) You had shame last time, Andrew. Well, I had delayed shame, and that came to pass. So, yeah, In the Dream House and Her Body and Other Parties are on my shelf now. Well, I mean, those are good books, so. They're good books. I'm excited. I might not even wait for them to be drawn on the podcast. I might go nuts. You will Whoa. wait. <laughs> I feel like that's like a whole special classification of book now, like book that you're so excited about that you're, you'll burn it for the podcast. Yeah. I often think yeah. that, though, and then I just put it on the shelf and it disappears. <laughs> However. Ooh. Also, since the last podcast, it has been my birthday. Oh, yeah. And somebody, I don't know who it was. It was Bailey. (laughs) It was me. uh, Sent me a gift certificate to a bookstore because nothing like a gift that I then have to announce to the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bailey, thank you very much for the gift certificate to Greenlight. I picked up this very podcast's very own Clara in the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro and... The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. That one's on mine. Oh. Boom, boom, boom. I will admit, while I'm excited for Clara in the Sun, I ordered it because I saw in their window that they had signed copies by the author, and mm-hmm. I thought it would be cool to have an Ishiguro signed uh, book, but then I didn't get it when I ordered it because it was a pickup thing. <laughs> that would be very cool. You are a bit of a signed book fiend, Andrew. You said that well, multiple apparently times. Apparently, it's really easy to get in New York City. Yeah, you can just get books sense. signed by people. <laughs> I've also gotten into really um, recently, like going on like eBay and Mercari and other secondhand sites. I feel like you could get some money for a signed copy. Wait, why are you going on secondhand sites? That leads to my shame. (laughs) As you know, I think I shared this last time on the podcast. I discovered that there was a new puzzle in part of the series that I collect that exists, but is out of print. And I had to find it, and I became very obsessed with it. Um, And it was an ice cream puzzle. So I signed up on all these different sites. But it showed up on this site called Offer Up. It's kind of like Craigslist, where people around you have it, and you go and pick it up from them. But it showed up not in its own record, you know, something that showed, you know, reverence for how rare it was. It was in a pile (laughs) of kids stuff for $20. And it's just like, "Mm, ice cream puzzle. And I was like, oh. Precious treasure. (laughs) So I paid $20, and I picked it up. And I basically didn't need the rest of the stuff it came with. But it did come with three books that 
are now technically shame, <laughs> which are because of Winn Dixie, Swiftly Tilting Planet, <laughs> and the Ursat's Elevator, which is what like number six in the um, series of unfortunate events. Wow, I have read two of those books. <laughs> so I don't know if those count as. I don't think I'm going to put them on my list, but technically I did acquire three new books. Fair enough. <laughs> no, so Bailey, yeah. I, I, this series you speak of of puzzles, yeah. is it the one that I'm looking up here, Marbles, yes. Butterflies? Yes. So for the listener at home who might not be familiar, as an outsider, I would describe these puzzles as like rainbow-hued versions of whatever the descriptor of the puzzle is. So spring flowers, it's a bunch of flowers in a rainbow, right? Now, don't take this as shade. Uh-oh. To me, they're just not, like, what is it about this series that motivates you so to like find, because to me, they're perfectly pleasant but it's not like i can clearly see what causes the obsession number one how dare you (laughs) number two i'm I'm angering more than half our audience right now (laughs) i don't know it's kind of like collecting pokemon like you have to have them all yeah that's the tagline you have have to have have them all all. you simply must have them all (laughs) here's the thing about these types of puzzles they were all designed by this one artist julie seabrook ream i'm not weird that i know that Anyway, at this point, it'd be weird if you didn't know it. (laughs) She does these rainbow gradients of objects. Number one, I enjoy doing gradient puzzles because Mm -hmm. it's easy to sort them and to do them all um, without being like, oh, there's red over here, too. Oh, no. Okay, so other puzzles are too hard. Got it. Yes. And it's also easier because it's not just a simple gradient, like there's different shapes within it. So if there's toy animals, you're like, okay, well, this green isn't part of this caterpillar. It's part of the brontosaurus. I'm sorry, a patasaurus. I'm so sorry. And then I learned that there was one in this series, this donuts puzzle that was so beautiful and amazing. And I had to have it, but it was out of print. And then it became, you know, the quest to to get them all. Mm -hmm. And so now I think I have like 13 of them. Out of how many? I hope that this is all of them, but they keep showing up. Like the ice cream one I didn't know existed. And now Hmm. I find it on somebody's puzzle Instagram that I'm trolling. (laughs) (laughs) And then I have to have it. So, So that's where I'm at. All right. Well, yeah, I can see I can see how the hunt, the thrill of the hunt is uh, addictive. Yeah, but it's more of like compulsive. Anyway, um, so that's my shame. Nice. Uh, I also, though, have some extra credit. I'll let you guys sing the extra credit song. Extra Good job, credit. Bailey. We love credit. you, Bailey. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> love that song. Thank you so much. Um, I read a book off the list, like you said, that was like one that was like, I'm not going to wait for it to be chosen. I'm not going to wait for Dylan. This mm-hmm. book is called The House on the Cerulean Sea oh, yes. by T.J. Clune. A lot of people recommended it in best of last year lists. It's about like sort of an office drone, lonely type who gets sent to an orphanage um, on the edge of the sea where there are a bunch of orphans with magical powers. Oh, um, wow. And so that's the basic thing. But it's very quaint it's kind of like if you want to read harry potter but you want harry potter to have like nice queer characters and Mm. not to be written by a trash baby Mm -hmm. um so i really recommend it and i found it to be excellent for i was going through sort of a reading slump to get me back Uh in and i gave it five stars oh dang it's like is it like funny i don't know funny is the word but like light Mm -hmm. like charming like, it's kind of YA, middle mm-hmm. grade-ish. Is it the beginning of a series? No, I think it's a standalone. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've seen the cover a lot. And so I think I already have an impression of what it's like. Yeah, it's great. So definitely recommend five stars. So extra Good credit. Good job, Bailey. Bailey. That's the extra credit whale. <laughs> <laughs> it does like a really slow jump. Do you have any extra credit, Toby? 
I don't have any extra credit. I gave my dad some extra credit. Ooh. Except he doesn't do stuff like this, so that doesn't make any sense at all. He anyway. Gets, he gets normal credit. <laughs> Assigned reading. This day that we are recording is my dad's 83rd birthday. Wow. Whoa. Very old person. Happy birthday. Yes. And for the last couple of years, um, I've been giving him books for like every occasion. He's very broad minded um, in terms of like. He didn't read a lot of sci-fi, and I gave him some sci-fi. He really uh, particularly enjoyed Exhalation by Ted Chang. He'll say, you know, send me whatever you want. Oh, wow. So I took a big swing. I did it impulsively. I may regret it. I sent him The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Shardblade. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is a huge swing. Like, my dad is not, to put it lightly, a reader of epic fantasy. And okay. this is like the most epic fantasy there is. He said he opened it, and he liked the map today. So it'll be very interesting. I think he will either hate it and not finish it. Or can you imagine at the age of 83, discovering that you like to read like epic fantasy? How cool would that be? You'd have a lot of books to go through. Exactly. That's great. I'm very curious to hear what Doug thinks of that book. Yeah, I give it very even odds because <laughs> it's such a strong flavor you know and if, if you've never read stuff like that before yeah. yeah andrew and my mom also likes us to give her books that we um recommend mm -hmm. and for her birthday in january i gave her the first in the bridgerton series and okay. she gobbled that up and is now wanting mm -hmm. to read the rest so you know are the books as steamy as the tv show i assume they're even more steamy oh you haven't even read them i have not read them i was <laughs> wow, just like that's... i feel like she'll like this <laughs> nice <laughs> uh she has talked to jillian about it and tried to get jillian to read it and i think they are maybe even steamier Ooh. Whoa. so toby i hear you read a book this week and andrew might have read it too check it Check, Check it. it. Yes, I did. I read The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Books that two people read. Two books, 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 friend books. Post Arthurian England. What, what? You stole the phrase post Arthurian from me from my uh, logline. I'm pretty sure it's probably. <laughs> Forget I said it, Pedro's. <laughs> Just ignore that. Um, well, that's a perfect transition. I will give you my logline to this book. In Kazuo Ishiguro's The Buried Giant, an elderly couple sets out on a dangerous journey across post-Arthurian England on a mission to visit their son, a man neither of them can distinctly remember, due to the memory-erasing mist that makes life miserable for all residents of the land. Or does it? This sounds great. <laughs> That's a logline, baby. I'm going to be a bit of a butt, but when you say post-Arthurian, do you mean like not... Now, obviously, right? Where it's what do you all think, post Dylan? Do you, do, do you it's post-Arthurian now, do, technically. Do you, do you think this is a story that takes place in 1970? That's post-Arthurian. So my understanding is it's like, we're like the, the king after Arthur. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, recently post-Arthurian. There you go. Characters who are alive during Arthur's reign factor into this book. Arthurian Jr. So I wanted to read this book because I have read other Ishiguro. I have read, and I think you guys probably have opinions on these. I've read Never Let Me Go, and I've read The Remains of the Day. Have you ever read any of those? I've read Never Let Me Go, and I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, this is my first Ishiguro. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've read Never Let Me Go and The Remains of the Day. I love The Remains of the Day. Um, it's as amazing as everyone says it is. Never Let Me Go. Eh, it was fine. You could let it go. I could. <laughs> Based on those reading experiences, this book was not what I was expecting at all. As I mentioned in the logline, it's post-Arthurian, and he goes like full fantasy. Just not what I would expect um, from Ishiguro. The main couple that this story is based on, they're called Beatrice and Axel. They have like 
like a bog standard fantasy adventure. They cross the land, they encounter magical beings, they get a warrior companion, they get put in all these exciting situations, which for anyone who's read The Remains of the Day, it's like an exciting situation. What's that? Wait, you can't just go past this term bog standard. What's a bog standard? It's like a British term. I shouldn't have. No, no, I'm very curious. Um, so I know that term. Is it a post-Arthurian term? It's a bog standard. It just, like, just means standard. I don't know how Like to, in a bog? <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, using the term bog to refer to it as a toilet. So it's like bog standard, like as standard as a toilet. Oh, I thought it was a type of sci-fi like that it took place in a bog. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, this is your bog standard fantasy. There's oh, like my There's like high fantasy and bog standard. Mounted sta- mountain standard fantasy. There's okay. three types of conflict. Man versus man, man versus himself, and man versus bog. <laughs> so, yeah. In his other books, they are I really like them, but there's a lot of atmosphere. There's a lot of slow progression but this is like they have a legit adventure cool andrew would you agree with that to a degree (laughs) i think this is people having an adventure written by someone who likes to write atmospheric and slow things yes because there's definitely still a flavor of that atmosphere and slowness especially in the first three quarters of the book it's fantasy but it's very literary fantasy um so it is funny because they get into these exciting situations, but they spend a lot of time like standing around talking to each other about it, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny. For example, there's a point maybe about halfway through the book where these two knights are going to fight each other. And it's very exciting because they're kind of hyped up as like dangerous warriors. But I mean, it must be like six or seven pages of literally being like, sir, <laughs> you dishonor me by standing that way. Sir, will you help me in my fight? And yeah, sounds like a Monty Python sketch. So uh, I'll go into my elves. Um, this book is exciting. Ooh. I was prepared for another Remains of the Day, which is a book that I enjoyed, but it is 99% a dude drives around England. And that's the Remains of the Day. That's all that happens. So I was ready. I had my like patience face on. I was ready to just kind of like be zen about it. Maybe because I was so prepared for it to be so mellow, it was pretty exciting for me. Uh, another elf. This book is scary. Ooh. I've talked before on the podcast about the difference between soft magic and hard magic systems. And bog magic. And bog magic <laughs> systems. Um, and um, I'd say this is an amazing example of a soft magic system. So we, the reader, have no idea what the rules are. And in the beginning, you don't even really know if like these fantastical creatures they're talking about are going to be real or not, or if they're just kind of like rumors. Um, and he really uses that to amazing effect because when scary things happen, they're very mysterious. You don't know how they work. And it just has that kind of sense of wonder that really good soft magic systems can have. Another elf, um, and it kind of tie the remains of the day, Ishiguro makes the most of the fact that his characters are old. So these, this is an elderly couple, quite elderly actually, to the point where just part of the danger of them going on this journey is that they're old and they might not make it. But something I think he is really good at is giving his characters like just this sense of like a long and full life full of kind of joy and a lot of regret and history. Part of the main conceit of this book is that this mist is covering the whole land and no one can remember anything about any of their past. And the kind of question of the book is, can that be a good thing? Can you kind of forget maybe some of the cruelties you've done to other people or the people you love? But, you know, as you would expect, it's not really a spoiler to say, but as the book progresses, they do remember more of their past. And he just is a master at 
depicting what it's like to have memories, long memories and long history. I love Beatrice and Axel. They are so cute. <laughs> like from the very beginning, they are just adorable with each other and their love is so real. And a lot of the book is concerned with do they or don't they have a good relationship mm-hmm. because they can't remember a lot, of, a lot of their relationship and they have this love. Um, but yeah, you just like my affection for them was so immense. Um, and then as they start to remember more complicated things about their relationship, as their memories start coming back, things get more complex and they, it turns out maybe they've done some things to each other. And I just imagine Ishiguro just like stabbing me and twisting the knife because you just want, you want things to just be smooth. You want them to just love each other and it gets more complicated. And by then I was so into it. It's like a pleasurable but oh boy it was very stressful well that's what you got to do as a writer you have to torture your characters otherwise it's not interesting oh he does it oh he does it and one more elf is that the world is great it's exciting that it's beautiful pastoral england misty and scary and there's bogs (laughs) and there's hills especially because uh, i like fantasy i never really liked arthur stuff do Mm. you guys like arthur stuff yes you did what'd you like well i mean i i like camelot Da, 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 da. The musical. You mean uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail? <laughs> no, that, that this is a musical called Camelot. Oh, the, okay. Sorry, I thought you were singing the Camelot song from Monty Python. Oh, that and one the Holy too. Grail. That one too. But no, I mean, I, as a little kid, I had a little Guinevere doll, and like, really, yeah. Aww. As a kid, I like unicorns and dragons and stuff. So I yeah, it's like, it. like that's like some <laughs> unicorns. And- that's like pre-Arthurian stuff. So <laughs> okay. what is that? Is that like cave drawings? Is that what you're into? I mean, that is pre-Arthurian. Yeah, you're a butt. Um, <laughs> Andrew, Arthurian, yes or no? Not. I don't think to the degree that I had like a, a Guinevere doll, um, but I always <laughs> liked it. I had a, a, <laughs> a passing interest. Recently, I've been watching that uh, that Merlin show. It's on the old Hulu. Hmm. It's not a new show. I was going to say, um, it barely tickles my brain. When yeah, did that come out? I don't know. The uh, <laughs> graphics would make it seem like mid-90s, but I think it's mid-aughts. Yeah, okay. I was in high school when that came what out. What about like The Sword and the Stone? I've only seen The Sword and the Stone like once. But remember yeah, me too. When, no, but Merlin and the witch transform into different animals and they fight. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, no, I know. That's very cool, but I've only seen that movie like once. I remember mom being obsessed with The Mists of Avalon. Yeah, that was Is that a, a thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Are those a series of books? Yeah, it, it's around Arthur. It's like about mm. the witches. Mordred? Okay. Is that somebody? Morgan. Yeah, Mordred's his um his son. I would never say I loved it, but I yeah. it seeps into your brain. Yeah, it just struck me uh reading this because I just I'd never really considered the fact that I ended up liking fantasy a lot, but I just never ever was drawn to Arthurian stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but this I really enjoyed. So I'm going to skip to it and just say, yeah, five whole stars. I want to hear what Andrew has to say about it. But overall, um, I think this is a strong flavor. I think probably more people will like The Remains of the Day or some of his other books more. But for me, it really hit this sweet spot of like a very literary and moving story that happened to coincide with a lot of like fantasy elements that I personally like. I loved, loved, loved five stars. Ooh, awesome. Andrew, what about you? I'm a little less in love with this book than Toby. Uh-oh. That isn't to say I, I didn't like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's sort of where I come at it. I think, and I, we're not going to do a spoiler section on this book or anything like that, but I think it has a really, 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 really great ending. Yes. And it really comes together in a way I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. and in a way that is immensely satisfying and like heartbreaking for all, a whole number of reasons. Um 
what I would say about this book is if I didn't need to finish it to record this podcast, <laughs> I have a feeling that the first three quarters of this book would have dragged for me and I may not have like ground through it. It was like a pleasant stroll, um, but I wasn't really like grabbed forward by it. Maybe some of the like over formality of mm -hmm. some of the language, especially in the dialogue. So I was, you know, three quarters of the way through the book thinking like this, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's about a three star for me. I don't know. And then the ending kicks on and I was like, oh, wow, okay, it's definitely four stars. Could it go higher? But so I ended up coming down um, on it being a four star book and really enjoying reading it, really wanting to check out his other work. Glad that I bought Clara and the Sun. But I think that the first half to three quarters of the book will turn off a lot of readers. So what I would say is, while that's the reason it's not a five star for me, I think it's worth pushing through as a reading experience. I would agree. Okay. I think that this sounds great and I want to add it to my shelf, but mm -hmm. I need to, you know, restrain myself. Okay. So I have a question, you know, readers might be wondering, pages might be wondering, like, I wouldn't be wondering this, but like, is Arthur a real person? <laughs> or like... Yeah, Andrew. Was Arthur real? Yeah, no. So actually, I do know the answer to oh, this question. Sweet. Or I, I know this answer as much as anybody knows the answer to this question, because the answer is maybe. Oh, no. What Arthur is this is me paraphrasing i listened to this podcast called a history of england a while ago this is where i'm drawing most of this from off the cuff i didn't know the question would be asked um there may well have been a historical arthur i think there are even records of a king named arthur however the timelines don't match up for that being like this person mythic part, and yeah it's a collection of mythic things um that a lot of people threw a di lot of different versions on like robin hood was there a robin hood you know maybe so the question is complicated like there may well have been somebody who was king arthur and like was the seed of the stories more likely it's just sort of a collective created mythos of england and france around this time okay see because i was thinking about it like when you were thinking toby about like arthur fantasy versus other fantasy that mm -hmm. this was kind of one of the few fantasy books that actually takes place like in our world based mm. on real historical people, but I don't think that's true, actually. I think that it's more myth. Yes. Alas, well. Andrew, do you have any facts about Kazuo Ishiguro? Is he a real person? <laughs> or is he just a, a man of legend? Uh, he's a man of legend and letters, and no one, no, he's real. Um, <laughs> Sir Kazuo Ishiguro was born on November 8th, 1954 in Nagasaki, Japan. He relocated with his family to England, Surrey specifically, when he was five years old, when his father got a research job with the National Institute of Oceanography, which sounds like a really cool job. And Britain has been his primary residence since then, and he has received the Order of the British Empire. He's an OBE, and then recently he received his official knighthood, hence the Sir. <gasps> so he could be a knight from Arthur's Round Table. That's exactly right. Initially, his interests were primarily more musical. Apparently, his mm. performances in choirs as a boy like made him a bit of a local legend. He had this huh. amazing voice, and he was like a little mini-celebrity. And he grew up loving Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan, and spent a gap year before going to university, traveling the U.S. and Canada, and sending demos to record companies. So what? in a different world, we could have Kazuo Ishiguro's as this musical giant, but mm. he didn't end up making it that way. Instead, it was a buried giant. <laughs> they might be buried giants. 
Oh. Oh. He returned to England and studied literature at the University of Kent and later uh, went on to study and receive a master's at the University of East Anglia. Shout out to Rory Power, who also went there. Never heard of it until I realized that a bunch of writers went there. And specifically, this is a quote attributed to him talking about his music. Uh, He said, I used to see myself as some sort of musician type, but there came a point when I thought, Actually, this isn't me at all. I'm much less glamorous. I'm one of these people with corduroy jackets with <laughs> elbow patches. It was a real come down. Aww. At least he has some perspective on it. And he had some pretty instant success with his writing. His thesis at graduate school became his first novel, Pale View of Hills, which was published the year after he graduated in 1982. Since then, he's produced new novels at a pretty, pretty regular clip, including The Remains of the Day, as Toby mentioned, which was in 1989, Never Let Me Go in 2005, The Buried Giant of this podcast in 2015, and very recently, 2021, Clara and the Sun. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by Clara and the Sun. Definitely going to read it. What genre is that one? Yeah, it's a, I think it's maybe more leaning towards the science fiction element. It involves an AI, from what I understand, from looking at the back. And probably the sun, too. Nope. Mm. That's a red herring. There's no, no son. <laughs> Speaking about his identity as a British author born in Japan and raised by Japanese parents, Ishiguro said, I'm not entirely like English people because I've been brought up by Japanese parents in a Japanese speaking home. My parents felt responsible for keeping me in touch with Japanese values. I do have a distinct background. I think differently. My perspectives are slightly different. People are not two thirds one thing and the remainder something else. You end up a funny homogeneous mixture. This is something that will become more common in the latter part of the century. People with mixed cultural backgrounds, mixed racial backgrounds. This is the way the world is going. So while he recognizes his that he's Japanese English, he also sort of rejects that phrasing slightly. In 2017, Ishiguro received the Nobel Prize in Literature one year after his hero, Bob Dylan. Dumb question, but because you guys are on the Nobel Prize Committee, do people win a what? Nobel Prize for a single book or for a body of work? I think it's a body of it's, work, right? It's got to be a body of work, yeah. It's a body of work, but they sometimes call out specific works mm-hmm. in the description. It's like a little mini paragraph they put with the announcement. Yeah, which is interesting because I think by far his most famous work is The Remains of the Day. Don't worry, all of you who are heartbroken about him giving up his musical dream. He has since collaborated with jazz musicians Stacey Kent and Jim Tomlinson to write lyrics and music for their albums, which have received acclaim. A weird fact that I think you might enjoy. You guys know what a grouse beater is? I do know that, but could you remind me of what it is entirely? Is it something that beats grouses? (laughs) Sort of. I mean, so when, uh, you know, rich people go hunt game birds like pheasants and grouse, there's these people who like hit the long grass with sticks Mm -hmm. to get them to try to fly out. Mm Mm-hmm. He was a grouse beater for the Queen Mother at Balmoral Castle. Wow. Oh, that could be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. What year was this in? Was it post-Arthurian? It was, uh, yeah, it was I post-Arthurian. Mean, yeah, Though the legend is he'll return and save England. So, you know, it's also pre-Arthurian in that way. Hmm. Well, that's crazy. And finally, he married Lorna McDougal in 1986, and they have a daughter together named Naomi, who is also a novelist. I feel like I would like him to be my dad. He seems like he'd be a good dad. <laughs> He does. It's so interesting. Like so many of his books are about like being old and making like terrible mistakes. I wonder, I'm like, has he done some messed up stuff? Never Let Me Go is about being young and doing terrible mistakes. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That's awesome. Great facts, Andrew. Good facts, Andrew. Thank you. Bailey. You got, you have to tell me the truth this time. Okay. Did you read a book this week? I played the fifth. I did. I did. I did. I did. Uh, How much of this book did you read today? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, about half. Wow. How long is it? 
500 pages. Oh, wow. So this morning when I woke up, I was at like 312 out of 500. That is still so, a significant amount to go. It's a fair amount. So, uh, yes, I did read a book. I read The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Gil, Gil, Gil. Sign, sign, sign. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert is most known for her memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, where she goes to Italy, uh, India, and Bali. And this was after. So I was drawn to it because I was interested to see what her actual, not her actual writing, but like what her writing is, her mm-hmm. fiction. Um, oh, this is fiction. I did not know that. Yes. I think yes yeah, is a novel yes <laughs> that's how you know it's fiction well i mean it's it could be like historical fiction you know yeah, yeah. because it's it takes place you know in the past so it could be a real person i gotta ask what pre or post arthurian post okay 1800 good to know um this actual book was given to me by dylan's mom Eileen, thank you. Shout out. She does a really good job of after she finishes reading the books, she doesn't really have like a attachment to them. So she just gives them to me. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this means she doesn't like them that much. I don't know. But this one had been sitting on my shelf for a while. And honestly, I don't think I would have gotten to it had it not been chosen. So oof, oof. just because it's chunky and, you know, the it's not very flashy on the cover. It's not going to be the first one you go to. So this is a woman on a journey book. Familiar ground for this author. Exactly. So the main character's name is Alma Whitaker. She's born in 1800 and she lives, you know, no spoilers, but she lives a long time through the 1800s. I'm not going to tell you when she dies, but she dies at one point. But Bailey's it goes, energy is so aggressive right now. I know. It's kind of in the style of like... Maybe a Charles Dickens or like a Louisa May Alcott. It's very long and some might say slow. Okay. Would you Uh, say slow? But yeah, who might say that? Some (laughs) might say it takes its time. Also, some might say that the back of the book makes it seem like it's about something that it's not really about. What does the back of the book make it seem like it's about? Love is the first word. This is not a love story. Is pray the second word? (laughs) Yeah. Is it about eating? This makes it seem like it's sort of a historical fiction love story. And Mm -hmm. like it kind of is, but it's more of a woman on the journey. And like throughout her life, she has loves. And And she eats and sometimes she prays. Mm, She doesn't pray that much. No. Sorry. Well, no, but it does have actually a lot of thematic uh, similarities to Eat, Pray, Love in that it's talking about um, the divine and the natural and the intersection between the two um, almost to an aggressive amount. Um, anyway, okay. I'm I'll, getting I'll, interesting vibes from you about this book. I... Yeah, hard to tell what's going on there. <laughs> okay, so, the, so, so it's about Alma Whitaker. She's born to a uh, privileged family in Philadelphia in 1800. Mm-hmm. She grows up in a family of botanists and scientists and scholars. So she grows up and has this deep interest in botany, particularly the study of moss. So riveting stuff. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> dope. Second of all, continue. <laughs> So she's studying moss, and in in a lot of ways, she believes, and I I, I can get behind it that yeah. moss is like a metaphor for life in general. Yeah, it's like a bog standard metaphor. Yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, a mm-hmm. moss standard. Um, so while she's doing all this, you know, she does a little bit of traveling. She deals with family members, and you know, she maybe falls in love. I don't know. It's no spoilers. <laughs> okay. Um, so that is the plot. That's pretty loose. Not a lot to drag you through 500 pages there. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll start with the pros. Pros. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The elves. Thank uh, yeah, you. I thought you were just going to talk about the writing. The pros. <laughs> oh, yeah. The pros. Um, it is well-written. Prose is written well. Ah. There you go. I'll just read a little passage so you get a sense of the writing. And I will take out the person's name. In case you don't want to be spoiled. I know you guys are really worried about spoilers for this one. You know it. <laughs> okay. 
Alma's existence before the arrival of beep had been a good enough one. Yes, her world may have looked small and her days repetitive, but none of it had been unbearable to her. She had made the best of fate. Her work with mosses occupied her mind, and she knew that her research was unimpeachable and honest. She had her journals, her herbariums, I say it, herbarium? Herbarium. Herbarium. Herbarium, her microscopes, her botanical disquisitions, her correspondence with botanists and collectors overseas, her duties toward her father. She had her customs, habits, and responsibilities. She had her dignity. True, she was something like a book that had opened to the same page every single day for nearly 30 straight years, but it had not been such a bad page at that. She had been sanguine, contented. By all measures, it had been a good life. She could never return to that life now. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of putting it, that like, it, it's she's doing the same page over and over. It's not necessarily a bad page, but she's never going to want to go back to doing that. And, yeah. you know, it reminds me a little bit of the pandemic, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good that's a good piece of writing. That sounds like the beginning of the book to me. And that is like square in the middle. Yeah. So that's the thing. Those are the pros. Those are the elves. It's very lush um, and mossy, mossy. Yes, exactly. I actually thought that I was like, this is kind of like a deep moss where it's like very comforting and slow and warm and damp and slow moving. She talks a lot about human time versus moss time. There's an element of this being moss time and that everything is slower to move. <laughs> oh, the extra credit whales back. <laughs> okay so those are the pros the con is basically that it it, i think it is too long i -hmm. think that she's trying very hard for it to have this you know dickensian style and like you said it takes a while to get to places Mm -hmm. um she ultimately travels but she doesn't travel to like page 400 of 500 you know wow yeah um and the love story doesn't enter until that page so that's halfway through um so if you go in reading the back thinking this is going to be a steamy love story no it's more like a mossy love story <laughs> so it's not bad but i think if i hadn't had to feverishly read it for the podcast it probably would have been one that like i took maybe a few months to a year to read where it's like i would read a chapter here and there and enjoy it but not be like dying to read the next chapter very specific you wouldn't abandon it you're not a book abandoner i don't abandon yeah. that's just not who i am and okay. i know that i should but there are times though when i did get a little momentum where she would end a chapter with like and that was before she found the book and i'm like what book i have to keep reading but the that, book of moss but that was rare um within the book it's not bad it's not eat pray love eat pray love is a little pulpier and fun this feels like she was trying to prove that she's not only eat pray love Mm -hmm. but also she's interested in similar themes so overall i'm giving it three stars i think if i had to choose like which way i would lean i would say it leans more to four than to two but you know i think you could skip this one unless you are particularly interested in the subject matter seems like if you're the kind of person who enjoy this book you've probably already read it Probably, yeah. It reminds me a lot of, um, what was that? The Essex Serpent or like... Oh, I didn't like that one. Yeah, Euphoria was one that was oh, good. I, I loved Euphoria. But that one was also very short. Exactly. Um, this one is like, what if Euphoria was three times as long? Oh. But it could still be good, but... You just made me think it was better though, because I loved Euphoria. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got that vibe of like woman plus that time period plus science. Science. Um, plus the South Seas, which is a part of it. Mm. So yeah. Three stars, and unless you're particularly interested in the genre, some people love women on a journey, um, then I would say skip it. Three stars, three mosses. <laughs> nice. All right, Andrew, do you have any facts for us about Elizabeth Gilbert? I do. You want to hear them? 
She has a crazy love story. I don't know if you're going to share that. I'm going to do it as best I can. All right. Ooh. I don't know anything about this. I'm excited. Well, let me start you at the very beginning. Gilbert was born on July 18th, 1969 in Waterbury, Connecticut. When Gilbert was four, her parents bought a Christmas tree farm and moved her family there. Hmm. They lived isolated from neighbors and without television or like music. They said they didn't have a record player, um, which led to the family reading voraciously and inspired Gilbert and her sister, who actually also is a writer to write and create things like plays and skits and, and things like that. So encourage self-creativity. Um, Gilbert is quoted as saying, my parents are the only people I've ever known who made their own goat's milk yogurt and voted for Reagan twice. Ooh, That's a Venn diagram that doesn't include anyone else. Yeah, that's very specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went on to attend NYU, um, though she avoided studying creative writing while studying there. Uh, preferring to log inspiration and experience to inspire her. Another quote from Gilbert. I never thought that the best place to find my voice would be in a room filled with 20 other people trying to find their voices. So yeah, she never formally studied. She didn't go to grad school. Um, she was all about more living the life and just writing and seeing where that takes you. That comes out, I think, I mean, obviously in Eat, Pray, Love, but in his character as well. She didn't attend university. She's like, I'm just going to write a book about mosses. There you go. There you go. Uh, she worked a variety of jobs after graduating college and soon after, like very soon after, <laughs> published a short story called Pilgrims uh, in Esquire, which made her the first unpublished debut author in Esquire since Norman Mailer. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And this is like, if I'm doing the math right, like a year out of college, maybe a year and a half, I guess her program worked for her. Hmm. She continued regularly publishing work in a variety of publication, made a solid career as a freelance writer. I think that comes up in Eat, Pray, Love. I have not read it, but she's a, a successful freelance writer making good money writing articles for folks. Her published work includes Pilgrims, uh, which is a short story collection, including that aforementioned story, which came out in 1997. Uh, a few novels, the one that we're talking about, also Stern Men and City of Girls, which came out recently. Um, and then also a biography called The Last American Man, as well as a lot of nonfiction. Who's The Last American Man about? About a naturalist and a woodsman of some sort. I think his name is Eustace. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know that Eat, Pray, Love was adapted into a movie with Julia Roberts. Mm -hmm. There's another movie based on her work. What? Really? If you guess it, it's not anything I just listed. It's an article she wrote. I will tell you the title in a minute, but I want you all to guess what other reasonably famous movie was based on her How work. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Did it, become, did it come before or after the movie Eat, Pray, Love? Uh, before. The movie came out in 2000. Ooh. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days was a good guess, but it is incorrect. Hmm. The Sex in the City movie. That's based on Candace Bushnell's work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's just not that into you. That's based on the guy who wrote for Sex in the City's work. That's true. <laughs> um, Never been kissed. That's based on Chicago Sun-Times wicked <laughs> uh, editorial process. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to tell you the title and then guess what it is. Okay. Came out in 1997. The article was titled The Muse of the Coyote Ugly Saloon. Coyote Ugly! Coyote Ugly, baby! Wow. <laughs> Loving you isn't really something I should do. Bailey's on the table right now. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a direct adaptation, but... Uh, I have been to Coyote Ugly in New York and it was probably one of my least favorite places in the world. What do you mean they loved you there? It was my nightmare. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, she, I, I believe, worked at the Coyote Ugly Saloon at some point or, or a place similar to it. And it was the uh, basis for the film, but not. She obviously wasn't an aspiring songwriter whose father was a toll booth operator. Um, 
Anyway, I thought that was a hoot. Okay. Um, in 2006, Gilbert published her most high-profile book, Eat, Pray, Love, which chronicles a year of traveling the world and self-reflection and growing and all that. I haven't read it. I apologize. Bailey has. She eats and she prays and then she finds love. That's that's the story. Spoilers. It received a little bit of criticism because it was funded by a $200,000 advance from the publisher. Yeah. Um, wow. The word I saw bandied about was uh, privlet. Mm. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Um, nevertheless, it was wildly successful, became a movie, um, and she has built upon its success. So all's fair in eating and praying and loving. I think she acknowledges that in the book, too, where she's like, I got this advance. So we'll get a little bit into her romance now. Gilbert's been married twice. Um, once to the man that she meets in Eat, Pray, Love. He, they were married for about 10 years. Um, his name has changed in the work. His actual name is Jose. Um that marriage ended and she had a relationship with a woman named Raya Elias, who she realized her feelings for when Elias was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then they shared a relationship together. They had a non-legally binding, but still a like a commitment ceremony. She wrote an article about the experience and she described it as like being best friends, but then realizing, no, this is more than that. When her friend was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they were together until Elias's death. But yeah. So she's had sort of a tumultuous um, romantic life. The Signature of All Things was published in 2013 and received positive feedback, including from Barbara Kingsolver in the New York Times, oh. who will be showing up on next podcast. It does kind of feel like a Barbara Kingsolver, too. It's one of those books that is good, but you're not going to be like, I can't put this down. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only Barbara Kingsolver book I've read I loved, so I don't agree, but continue. Just saying. She lives in New York City and New Jersey and splits her time, as she says on her website, everywhere else. I mean, don't we all? Although not this year, so. Yeah, true. Mm. All right, great facts, Andrew. Good job. Great facts, Andrew. Do you also, you know, have a game, maybe? So, yes, I have a game. Huzzah. Huzzah. All right. Guys, this one's a weird one, but we're going to have some fun. Okay. As weird as the last one, which we got some good feedback on. I People think. love Fishing Dad, a.k.a. Dylan. Mm-hmm. To a no, baby. I would say it's a little less weird. Okay. How are the fish, by the way, Fishing Dad? They button. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to try out a little bit different form here, too. Hopefully, it'll be fun. The name of the game is Quick Fire. Like okay. Quick Fire, but Quick. Okay, okay. But like Quick Fire, but Quick Fire. Um, and the reason is you're going to be interacting with the dragon. Okay. <gasps> cool. So here's something you need to know. Jillian and I have been watching a lot of Top Chef. It's been our like mindless, put it on the TV. Mm-hmm. We've been watching a lot of it. So I've combined the concept of pasta from Eat, Pray, Love, which I know is not the Gilbert book that we covered. <laughs> There's no pasta in this book. Before I did my research, I came up with this game. I love, uh, so, I love it when those Dickens characters just chow down on a big bowl of pasta. <laughs> so we're taking pasta from the Gilbertiverse. Mm-hmm. We're taking the pasta. From the Ishiguro-verse, we are taking Arthurian dragons. And you guys need to make pasta for a threaded dragon and its protector. The dragon's name is Tadma Lakshmikio, and its protector is named Gail Simmons. Um, <laughs> Got it. I'm so sorry. Is that a reference that I don't understand? It's pa- Yes, Top Chef. Padma Lakshmi and Tom Colicchio are the lead hosts of Top Chef, and Gail Simmons is the third host. Okay. Got it. All right. You need to get past this dragon's fiery certain death that awaits you. You need to prepare a lovely bowl of pasta for it. Okay. Here's how this works. I'm going to ask you to each take turns talking to me and to have the other two people not listen. Is that possible for you? Yeah, they can just take off headphones. Yeah. So you guys are each going to take turns. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to name as many Knights of the Round Table as you can. I know a fair amount. 
I know one. Well, you're, then you might have a very simple pasta because <laughs> for each night of the round table you can name, you get an ingredient. Yes. So basically, you need one because you need that pasta base. Anything extra is the spice you're adding to it. We're not including salt, pepper, and oil as like a cooking ingredient. So say I named four, I could make a pasta with a base and then three ingredients added to it to make it really good. Whoever makes the best pasta dish, judged by me, Todd Malakshmikio, and the Dragon's Protector, Gail Simmons, gets to pass free. Whoever's in the middle, because all three of you can play, um, gets to live another day but has to turn back. And the third person is dead because the fire is coming for them. Are you guys ready? Yeah, I've just been trying to think of yeah. nights. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm gonna. I'm just going to get my timer set up. Uh, Toby can go first. Sure, okay. All right, ready? Just really quick. Here we go. Lancelot, Galahad, uh, Gawain. Those are the only ones I know. You don't know? Want to guess any others? Um, Robin. Uh, I'll, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, so you have three, and could you pick the next uh The next participant? The next participant is Bailey. Okay, Dylan. Dylan still has Dylan, to plug his ears. Don't but listen. I don't. Dylan. Tell me. Okay. No, tell no, me. no, don't listen. All right. Are you ready, Bailey? Yeah. Tell me when to Your go. Your time starts now. Lancelot, um, Gwen, Galahad, Robin. Oh, shoot. Um, Sir. Sir Ralph. Time. <laughs> wow. Um, you are so Robin confident. Robin is not a you real one. You said the exact one. same n- names that I did. Really? <laughs> yeah, in the same order. No way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's that's a three-ingredient pasta for you, which is good. Hey, that's Wait, a pasta base and two contrasting one? flavors. Robin is not. Robin is, is, was made up for the Monty Python. Brave, 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 so Robin. Okay, fine. So Robin. All right, Dylan's All right, turn. Dylan? Dylan, you're good. You ready? Yes. All right, your time starts in three, two, one. Arthur? No, okay. he's, he's not a knight of the round table. Uh, Lancelot, um, Galahad, Edmund, Gawain. Um, oh my god, this one. That's time. Ah. <laughs> Edmund, I do not have on my list. Oh, I thought Edward. Edwin. Edward. Elwin. Eskelbor. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think we all tied. Yeah, we did. No, you didn't because Arthur is considered no. a knight of the round table, so Dylan oh. gets an additional ingredient. No. No, no, Bailey, now that I think about it, no. the whole point is that it's a round table and they're all egalitarian. They're all equal. Yeah, no. so he is a member of the round table. Reject. He, he is. No. no. According to this list, he is, he a is it. I am also the game master, Bailey, so please. Tristan's one I thought you might have known. Bedivere, I would have expected oh, Bedivere, you to know. Oh, yeah. Who fights the green knight? Gwen. 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 Y'all got Gwen. Nice. All right. So get this. What this means is Bailey and Toby have three ingredients for their pasta dish for Tadma Lakshmikio, um, and Dylan has four. So yes. please take a moment, chefs, and prepare your pasta for this very carb-hungry dragon. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm ready. You ready, Bailey? Yep. Present your dish. Okay. This is some classic bow tie pasta with some classico Alfredo dressing and peas. <laughs> <laughs> You're to make me believe that it counts that it's a jar of Classico Alfredo sauce yes. that has many ingredients in it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. That's what it is. And the title of the dish is, ready? Bailey yes. 2006. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Okay. That's very good. Okay. All right. Toby, do you have your dish? Yes. Um, it's ladyfinger pasta and it's just pasta with a bunch of ladies fingers in it because he's a, he likes to eat princesses. I assume. Um, and then I get one more ingredient and it'll be some cracked pepper. I forgot this was for a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> and not for Bailey in 2006. 
Cracked pepper. Interesting. Hey, there's different techniques. I'm not telling you who who's picked right just yet. All right. Um, I did say salt and pepper were counted, but it's freshly cracked pepper, which is yeah. what makes it special. Okay. Uh, Dylan, you with your extra ingredient, how will you appease yeah, this really dragon? Count. I'm going to do um, fettuccine with a live chicken. So wet, cold pasta that a chicken is walking <laughs> is no, I'm covered with ragu. I'm picturing and chicken, basil. chicken with fettuccine cooked on its head. Yes, basically it's a it's a live chicken wrapped in fettuccine with a red tomato sauce and basil. I feel like I should go again. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay, the dragon has decided and delivers its judgment through Gail Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, Bailey is the winner. <gasps> Congratulations. I wanted actually good pasta that I could eat, <sighs> says the dragon from the corner. Bailey, you get to walk. Bailey 2006 <laughs> is, the, is the victor. Um, Describe what I'm doing. <laughs> Bailey is punching the air in a swaggery way. Power walking. <laughs> I win. Nice. So congratulations. Who loses and who really loses? <laughs> Dylan is second place because he also included pasta. I mean, there's some health concerns with the live chicken walking through those ingredients. (laughs) But I am a dragon, as you point out. Toby, you just didn't have pasta in your pasta dish because ladies' fingers are not pasta. But no, there's pasta on the bottom and the ladies' fingers are on top. You said ladies' fingers pasta. I'm not that into eating human beings, but I am into incinerating losers. Wow, what a unique So, Toby, I'm sorry you've been incinerated. Dylan, you get to make another pasta dish at some point in the future to try to pass. And Bailey, you're walking away towards a holy grail. Bailey 2006. Yum, yum, classical. (laughs) Yay, good game. Good game. Tasty. Tasty. So, Dylan, uh, now is the time for the next step of our podcast. Isn't it not time for the choosing? The choosing. The choosing. Because I do not choose what I wake up as. Ooh, stuff. I'm on tenterhook still, and what? what I, is I just, I just feel like I'm on trial here. Uh oh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Tell me, because <laughs> Toby, me. you have number forty-seven, the Metamorphosis, and other stories by Franz Kafka. Ooh, Ooh. I'm excited. Um, I've never read any Kafka, so. I feel like it's a glaring hole. I think you're going to like it, Toby. I know we say you're going to hate a lot of things, but I think you're going to dig it. <laughs> oh, mean, good. I think you'll like it. I'm actually halfway through this. I'm going to finish it up for the thing. Oh, good. There you go. What about me? What about me? Yeah, you didn't get one this week. Sorry. Uh, too bad. I had to give it to my best friend, but then take it away. For number 73, My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. What? I am so excited for this book. What is this book? So this book... um. Grady Hendrix just came out with the book, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which I hear is really good. But this is early, earlier, and I think it's told in the style of like pulpy teen horror, but it came out in just a few years ago, but it looks like it came out in like the 70s or the 80s. Toby, do you want to describe the book cover? Uh, it looks amazing. It looks like a VHS. It looks like a movie poster. Yeah. So I'm super psyched for this. That looks I've been fun. meaning to read it for a while. Yay. Yay. All right. Yes. So in two weeks on the podcast, um, we have... I will be reading My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, and Andrew's reading Unsheltered by Barbara Kingsolver. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get into Gregor two weeks after that. Metamorphosis and other stories. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast and on Instagram at the to read list podcast.
And if you like what you heard here, go on to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and give us a rating and review. It does increase our visibility across those platforms and it'll help us out. And also rating things is kind of fun. It is. And luckily, we do not live in a land that is covered in a memory erasing mist. So if you tell your friend uh, who is into books about our podcast, they'll remember it. And that's a good thing to do. (laughs) So do it. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books.